The first reading this morning is from Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And then from Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised? with the baptism I am baptised with. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is that okay, Jacob? Great. <coughs> Uh, well, I am somewhat intimidated to see the licence I've just received from my Lord Bishop uh, sitting in the congregation, so it's frightening to uh, have to preach. Uh, <clears throat> but what I feel is a great welcome, and um, even if it's the worst sermon in the world, you are tremendously uh, warm and welcoming, so that's great. I have preached this sermon uh, a number of times, and I, I make no apology for that, because I think it was uh, Wesley that said that until you've preached it a hundredth time, you don't really know your sermons. And... Uh, can't say that I've preached it a hundred times, but I've preached it sometimes. It's a result of, um, uh, as I travel uh, around the South Island and churches, asking a basic question, what can I, what can we learn from the persecuted, stroke, suffering church? And so for a couple of years, I've been trying to think through what an answer to that might be. And the first one is, is really, I think we can learn about a biblical stroke, um, um, a, a biblical solid hope through suffering. Uh, not avoiding suffering, but through suffering. I think that's one of the questions that we can teach. So this is not uh, a, a, a philosophical treatise, uh, but a, a basic response to the fact that the Bible teaches that part of our discipleship in following Jesus is that at some point there's going to be some level of antipathy, of some level of difficulty, of some level of emotional, it may be physical, it may be spiritual, 
difficulty in our lives, which we put under the banner suffering. So next, if you can flick through those, uh, I'll be next and next. Focusing on hope through suffering. Um, You'll notice that um, hope is mentioned three times in this short passage, and this is a genuine, I think, bridge passage to say what Paul has described, uh, not just in theory, but in actuality. And now he's beginning to say, what's that going to look like? Very good Kiwi question, I think. Um, What's that going to work itself out, this gospel in somebody's life, this this response to the good news about Jesus? And um, in this passage, you'll see there are some tremendously large biblical words, each demanding a sermon. Uh, We have peace with God, that is not the nice fluffy feeling down the back of your spine, but through accepting what God has done for you in his son and placing your entire trust and faith in him, one is no longer an enemy, chapter 5, verse 10, with God, but one has peace with God. There's no longer that relationship where, nice as you are to everybody else, inside you're literally shaking your fist against God and you're an enemy, either whether that's trying to justify the fact that you're walking away from him or finding reasons not to trust in him. And so peace is a very important part of the Christian experience mentioned here in this passage. Faith, of course, mentioned many, many times through chapter um, chapter 3. And so we've justified by faith here that entrusting oneself to God, this relational faith that's in through Christ, access, another key term, I think, here, whereby the new regime, whereby God wants to give his life to us, an exchange that's going to take place. We now have access into what is a new regime, life under grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, someone has said. Um, But also grace itself, where later in in this chapter, Paul speaks about the basis for this new regime that we live under. And then, of course, what I'm considering today, the word hope, which is mentioned three times. That's handy, because I've got three points. Um, you'll know that um, hope is in short commodity these days and not that sense of hope that's uh, often spoken to us which is, you know, um, maybe it's a possibility that of all things, all things being equal things happening in our direction might sort of come about I'm really hoping that Now the biblical hope is rooted in God's character Uh, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 6 says this almost going right, right to the inner sanctum of where God is, but on the basis of his character. Biblical hope is a strong expectation that when God says something, he will perform it. His promises are to be trusted, entirely trusted. And that's the biblical hope. And so this hope is mentioned first in chapter 4, where Abraham, or Abram, at some point, hopes against hope, some impossible situation God promises something through him which seems impossible, but he's found somebody who's prepared to trust what he says is going to happen. And then it runs all the way through Romans. They're picked up again in chapter 8, where this hope is for the children of God that we're all looking for, that renewed creation. And then finally, uh, in the final chapter, 15 verses 4, 12 and 13, 
that tremendous now, the God of hope. So hope is, although it's in short supply in our cultural world, it's not in short supply in Scripture. It's in rich supply, and we desperately need what a biblical hope is. And so as we flick through this one, uh, we'll see that uh, hope is very important. You'll see that the Apostle um, writes, therefore, and I know all you good exegetes out there, uh, if you're going to ask, if you see a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Uh, and so Paul has spent four chapters explaining uh, and moving people in their Christian experience and understanding to a point where at one point they were fallen short of the glory of God, but now are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Well, what's taken place for, for that to happen? Well, he spent some time explaining this, therefore. Um, he spent, at least in chapter uh, 1, ex- uh, explaining three exchanges that take place. Uh, and, and by the way, can I just ask you to put your hand up if you're not a member of the human race? Good. This applies to all of us. Every person who's lived, is living, will ever live. The apostle has said that this gospel which he preaches, the good news, applies to all of us. And so he's taken some time to say that human beings, members of the human race, have been really, really stupid. Their foolish heart has become darkened. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. How dumb is that? Uh, Not only that, but they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I'd rather live a lie, some people would say. And then, of course, a perverted understanding of who God is has led to a perverted way of attitudes and character whereby their foolish heart is darkened. And much like just before the time of Noah, almost every inclination of the heart is towards evil. And so Paul has had to explain that this is what has happened to the human race, is happening. And so God at chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, (coughs) will say he has set forth a remedy for this situation by setting his own son as an atoning sacrifice that those who place faith in him will find this peace, this grace, this access to God, this hope. And so he said that. You notice that, of course, it's not just the way we think, but it's the way we act, which is offensive to God. A, a, an impure, if you like, or a perverted understanding of God leads to a perverted use of the body. And so we as human beings need this hope. And this hope is given to us in spades, in the sacrifice of his son who bore our sins in his body on the tree. And therefore, finally, when God promises eternal life to those who place their faith in his son, what does Paul write? We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's wanting to say, please don't wait for this, because those of you who have entrusted your lives to Christ, those of you who depend entirely on him, for your forgiveness and your freedom and for the new regime under him and a new relationship and a new status before God. This is now yours. It's now. You're not waiting for it. 
And as soon as someone come, becomes to that position of being in Christ, hope of the glory of God is what we're rejoicing in. So I hope, as Paul hoped here, says that now what God has done for us when we have responded to God under God's own influence and, and kindness, he will explain, we now have this hope. And so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we need hope. And so Paul is able to say across the scriptures, he says that um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, we are not as, as, as others who in this life only have hope. If we're like that, he says, the old authorised version, we are of all people most, what? Miserable. Miserable people are those who outside and inside don't have hope. But Paul says to here, no, no. In Christ, then we now rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. It's the now that's also important as to not just what we were. Paul would say at one occasion in Ephesians 2, I think it is, around about 12, he said in explaining the difference between not being a Christian and being a Christian, not being in Christ or out of Christ, you were without God and without hope in the world. Later on, he'll write to the Thessalonian Christians, some who were wondering and saying, well, what's happened to Auntie Mary now she's dead? She died as a Christian. What happens to her? And he will write to, to them and say, well, look, let's address this issue by saying we, we're not like those who mourn without hope. You'll see Auntie Mary again. It's no problem. But the point is, it's because you've got hope. And your hope is in Christ himself or the God of hope, as he will say at the end of the letter. Why is this important? Because hope is, is, is given to us, is formed, is matured through difficulty, not without difficulty. Now, I imagine that if I would come back here in 25 years' time and, and ask you, when were the occasions where you really learned what it was to be close to God? And I think, I'm not a betting person, but gathering the number of lives of, and, and, and years here, my guess would be it will be those times that he has brought you through difficulties. Those are the most precious things. I would argue that the scripture teaches that, actually. Job, when he tries me, when, he's tri when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And um, I really love the idea that um, it's through, through difficulty, through resistance, that faith is activated and hope is born. Do you remember somebody teaching this? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can I move on to next, please? Uh, can we move backwards? Because I think we've gone on. That's brilliant. Just stay that one. Because do you remember um, James and John came to Jesus and said, oh, actually, if you read Matthew's account, it's mum who asks them to ask him. Typical Jewish mother. Go on, ask him. He's been talking about the kingdom, uh, talking about the best places in the house. Go on, ask him. Uh, so they ask him. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, ask him and say... Uh, 
hey, Jesus, can we have the best positions in the house? Can we have those positions of authority? And Jesus, as he often, but not always, often does, says, well, okay, uh, let me ask you a question. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you prepared to be baptised with the baptism I'm prepared to be baptised with? I'm not asking you to die for the sins of the world, but I am asking you to follow me with the possible consequences that you may have to lay down your life consciously. And, of course, their response was, I had no idea what they were saying. Of course, just give us the positions. And then he had to explain that his father actually would make those choices. But in Acts chapter 12, we're given an example of this kind of hope through suffering. Uh, Very, very tersely, Luke writes, Acts chapter 12, first two verses. Oh, and by the way, when Christians were beginning to make a name for themselves, when they've completed their first act of being Christians publicly, uh, of helping other Christians, of theologically saying that the Jewish Christians are as equally as important as the Gentile Christians. At that point, when Christians were beginning to make waves through the empire, uh, Agrippa, grandson of Herod the Great, there's a misnomer, wipes James out with a sword. Bang. There it is. Oh, that was entertaining. That kept the Jews um, happy. I'll do the same with Peter. And there we have a glorious, glorious, with, with no explanation in one sense, apart from the fact that Luke highlights that the church begins to pray. And Peter is gloriously, gloriously delivered. One gives his life. One gloriously delivered. Same hope, different circumstances. And uh, there's no explanation there. Because it's God who decides when we decide to follow him, what he's going to ask us to do. Do I really love him that much that I'm prepared to lay down my life? Am I like my Egyptian brothers and sisters in Christ often have a tattoo which will mark out that some member of the family had borne witness to Jesus through their physical death? They were following the one whom they loved, who'd given himself completely for them and they were prepared to give themselves completely for him. And so this position of blessedness of hope is here, that we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God and that that will take us through extremists. That's what the first biblical hope looks like. Whatever your circumstances. And I don't really want to measure um, in one sense I don't like to play the guilt card and and say that, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ are are suffering worse things. Well, that may well be true in some senses. But for one person to physically suffer is easier than to have their pride hurt. So I don't want to, in some way, try and even measure how suffering happens. It's for, for one person what is extremely difficult in their character is a walk in the park for someone else. Someone to lay down their life may be easier for you or for them. And so we've got this um, Barnabas seeks to be a token of hope, this rejoicing next in the, <coughs> uh, in the glory of God. We've got next one, please. And so we seek to do that in tangible ways. Uh, we don't send people in the, in the traditional way of mi- mission, missionaries, but we do have a very complex and full uh, um, uh, organs of, of, of 
of connection. We send money, but we're also sending food these days because, believe it or not, it is actually cheaper. Next. And uh, we encourage prayer, which is why all that information is there, free of charge for you, so that you can um, begin to really embrace the family of God. Next. We've already said that one. Next. Uh, Next. This is the range of our work, which on another occasion I'd love to be able to address in detail what we're doing. Next. Which brings to the second point, because Paul says not only that, I've not moved you just from the point of where we're falling short of the glory of God and justified freely by his grace, but we're now rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God for the very things that I've just told you about. This is now ours. For all the nerds amongst you, uh, the translation can have, let us have peace with God. just depends on whether you want the subjunctive or uh, a different form. But I think the force is the same. We have and we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God now. And I'm saying that can bring us through anything. Paul goes on to say, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces, there's that word again. And so um, I've got some favourite characters in history, and I'll read a story to you, a a current one. But one of my favourite characters in history is is actually a bishop. He's he's Ignatius. He's around about 107 to 110. And he also is summoned to die for following Christ. He writes a few letters, seven in fact. One of them he writes to the Roman Christians. In chapter 4 of that letter... He says, I want, to be, I want to be ground like the pure bread of Christ. He writes, I want my sinews to be, to be torn by the wild beasts. Now, uh, if we get bishops writing that sort of thing, we tend to think they've got mental health issues these days. Or, or they have discovered the intimacy of what it means that at that point of extremists, Christ is there. That's why Christians can go singing to their death. They're not masochists, they're not stupid, but they know that the joy of what it means to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and that to be refined and to have a real living hope will come through suffering, endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. And it's the character that's formed which is the key thing. It's probably the only thing that we're going to take with us to heaven. All the achievements and all that sort of stuff, the bits of paper, we'll probably leave them behind. And even if we do get crowns for them, we know that with the elders, we'll just simply toss them down at Jesus' feet because he's done it all. But the thing that we will take is we'll take that formed character of Christ through our circumstances and through how he has formed us. And this often takes place through suffering. I'd like to um, uh, just flick on a moment. Next. Uh, and tell you a significant story of these. Hold it there. Because uh, my friend, um, best, best man actually at my wedding, had a, 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 a poster above his bed. It was of a two-toed sloth, I think it was. Uh, and it was slumped over the chair. And on the top of this poster it said, if only I could get that sense of achieving things, dot, 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 without actually achieving anything. 
And in some senses, we want to go like Monopoly, straight to go, do not pass go. We want to go straight to character without being tried. And yet, Scripture will teach us again and again, in different forms for different people, we are under the governance of God. If we're obeying his will, there'll be a point where it's going to be difficult. And that's where character's formed. And that's where hope is born. Everyone likes a, a cracking gate story. And under hope, characters are formed. Here's a story. A group of 500 Nigerian Muslim background Christians who gathered together for safety after a string of Boko Haram attacks were later attacked again by the Islamist militant group. Most escaped apart from 76 men, women and children who were taken captive. The 76 were taken to a Boko Haram terrorist camp where they were tortured. The four male leaders of the group were told at gunpoint to renounce their faith in Christ and revert to Islam. When they refused, holding fast to their saviour, the men were shot in front of their families and friends. The following week, the wives of the four martyred men were also ordered to renounce their faith or their children would be executed. As the mothers struggled under, his te- under this terrible burden in the night, the children came running in and said that the Lord Jesus had appeared to them and all would be well. According to the account, the Lord Jesus then appeared to all of the group and told them not to fear, that he would protect them, that they should not renounce him, but stay strong, knowing that he is the way, the truth and the life. The next morning, the children, one, a girl as young as four, were lined up against the wall by the terrorists and their four mothers were told they could save them if they renounced Jesus Christ and returned to Islam. The mothers refused. The soldiers cocked their rifles and prepared to take aim when they suddenly started to grab at their heads, screaming, shouting, snakes, snakes. Some ran away. Others dropped down dead where they were stood. As one of the soldiers fell down dead, a Christian captive reached down to pick up the soldier's gun to fire at the fleeing Boko Haram militants. But the youngest child put her hand on his arm and said, you don't need to do that. Can you not see the men in white fighting for us? Tremendous story. Unembellished. 2019 story. But for every story of those kids that were gloriously delivered... Peter, remember Peter? There'll be 25 stories of Pastor Lawan Andimi. In fact, he's in our latest um, uh, magazine. You'll see in the background the ISIS flag and his story is as he was um, tortured and killed online. He wanted to give thanks in all circumstances and to promise his family that he'd soon be with them. Or that terrible incident that takes place on the the top left. Where did that take place, do you think? What oppressive regime would that happen under? It's in the city of London. You see, this great, what a fantastic name he's got, Alelawe Ilasamni. You know, really love to change my name, but... For the offence of reading out the authorised version of John's Gospel on the streets, he offended a certain member of the public who reported it to the police. And the police arrested him that day, 219. They bundled him into the car. You can see the video clip. My Bible, my Bible, please don't take my Bible. 
Should have thought that, sir, before he started preaching. They bundle him into the car and they, they, they take him to a different part of London and just drop him off. Now, unusually, the police had act, acted ultra vires. They'd acted outside their authority and they had to de-arrest this man. But there are many cases between 2.18 and 20, in Scotland in particular, where for standing on a street corner and simply telling people how much God loves them, you can be arrested. Thankfully, the regime has changed in Scotland. But it's, to our, it's in our doorstep. Welcome to the world of persecution and suffering. It's much, much broader now. It's not behind the Iron Curtain. It's not just in North Korea. It's not just in Afghanistan where we've flown out 400 families and are looking after 400 different families because if you're a male under the new Taliban regime of Sharia, if you're a sane male, it's a death sentence. It's not in places like Pakistan with much, much tightened, broader laws of blasphemy where to offer a cup of water to someone as a Christian can be the death sentence, can be construed under very, very broad legal terms. The Penal Code, Section 295C. Welcome to our world of persecution and suffering. You can be an MP in Finland. You can write a small a small booklet. Uh, you may criticise your Lutheran church and with a fellow Lutheran minister, write a small booklet about the doctrine of Christian marriage and find yourself in the dock three years later under hate speech laws. They won that case, but it's been appealed. This is European Finland. And uh, probably, well, Steve will know, you don't have to look too far in our own laws to say it's already here in some forms. Our voice is being muzzled. And so it's those who want real characters being formed. Finally, after this endurance has produced character and character has produced hope, Paul says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Next, we finally come, and next. The apostle had taught in Corinthians 12, as I accelerate through this point, I want you to offer the same care, the same care, as the person sitting next to you who is a Christian, as the person who is locked up or worked to death in a death camp, camp in North Korea. The same care. Do you care for your brothers and sisters? Do I? With the same care, the apostle says, because Paul says here, hope does not put us to shame. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. The Jew, the Greek, in it, righteous is revealed, etc. Because this hope is shared. God's love has been poured into our hearts, as he says, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so I, I finish with a little bit of a challenge for myself and for you. What is a real biblical hope? What does it look like? What kind of characters does it produce? And most importantly of all, in the context of Scripture, am I really that bothered? Am I prepared to find out about my other brothers and sisters? I know you're a tremendously uh, encouraging mission-based church and God will bless you for it, I know. But as an individual, do you know the family? 
Do you pray for them? Do you get to be a part of their lives? And so, as I ask myself the question of what a biblical hope is, I think it looks like that. It looks like people who are now rejoicing, whatever their circumstances. It looks like people who are tremendous character. And it looks like people who, who care in all sorts of ways. And the Apostle will go on to explain through this letter again and again what the Christian life looks like when we're dealing with our own sinful life. But for now, he's answering the question, what does a Christian look like then who's accepted this good news? It looks a bit like this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great, great privilege of of your word to us and your good spirit teaching us. And now we pray that he will continue to do that, the honour of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of your own dear name, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.